Welcome back, friends. Uh, episode 127. Hello, Lou. How are we doing? How are we doing today? Good. So we are talking today, we are continuing on the 20 qualities of a nyani. And today we're going to be doing the ninth and the tenth quality. The ninth quality of the 20 is self-control. And the tenth quality is dispassion towards sense objects. So when, when Krishna says self-control, he means control over your uh, equipment. Your equipment is your body, right? Your equipment is your mm -hmm. mind and your intellect. So Krishna says, have self-control over these mind, body, intellect um, equipment. He says, have control over things that your body wants to do. It wants to eat. It wants to sleep. wants to rest your sense uh, objects sense um, organs, you they want to indulge themselves, have some control over that. I remember when I was like 17, when I went to college for the first time, first time somebody said to me, we were talking, we're sitting in a cafeteria and a college friend of mine said, you know, I can eat so many of these um, potato balls that they served in the cafeteria. Yeah. And another friend said, you know, one thing is that sleep and food appetite has no limit to how much you can do I, I i was struck by that i was only 17 i said is that true and as i thought about it i said yes true if you just say without any control just keep eating and eating and eating there's no limit to how much you can train your body to be able to eat right. and same thing with sleep i you know you can train your body to just sleep more and more and more so what Krishna is saying is you have to have self-control. Self-control over your bodily needs, your sense organs that says, I want to engage with these sense objects. There's no limit to how much the body says it wants. So you have to use your intellect to control your mind and your body. Those are the two mind and body that keep demanding pleasures of different kind. Your intellect has to be able to control them. But all of this obeying of the intellect comes at some kind of a difficulty and price. Don't forget, we've talked about this many times, that the mind and the senses are many, many, many lifetimes old. You are just in this one birth. Your intellect is struggling to control the senses and the mind, which are thousands of years of age. And they have established themselves very firmly inside you. They are you. Not that they've established themselves inside you. They are you. And it's taken thousands of years for it to come here. Your property, you right? Your property, correct. Yeah. Yeah. You can manipulate it. You can gently force it like an ocean liner, a huge big ship. You can't turn it quickly. It has to be very slowly. You can train your mind, do it gently with understanding, with proper control, and then you can get there. So refrain from any action or any indulgence that impedes your spiritual progress. Whatever you want to do, if you want to get to a certain place, use gentleness in your action and some control and your indulgence, whether it be food or having fun. Remember, as you gain yourself in spirituality, this is something that I can tell you from my own personal experience and from the scriptures. You will see that as you become more spiritual, 
worldly attractions come to you. Keep this clearly in mind. As you become more spiritual, worldly attractions, sensual objects, wealth, power, fame come to you. It's a given fact. Now, scriptures sometimes say that the reason this happens is because there's some higher force that wants to prevent you from becoming very spiritual. So temptation comes your way. That's one way of looking at it. I don't believe that. I believe that as you become more spiritual, that your mind becomes more laser sharp, your intellect becomes sharp, you become more successful in things, you become more appealing, more attractive to other people. So whatever worldly attractions there are, whether they be wealth, people come to you because they say, I want to do business with this person. I, I, I like the way he does business. He's straightforward. He's honest. He doesn't look to cheat me. I like to do business with him. And so you're more successful in any deals you do. Your boss says, I like the way this guy works or this girl works. She puts her heart and soul into it. She's doing it for the corporation. She's doing it for the company. She's not. There's no selfish bone in her. Her companions like her. Her colleagues like her. I'm going to give her a promotion. So I also that, think, what do you think of this? As you become more spiritual, I think you become less self-destructive. In other words, your more baser instincts, your mind, your threat-generating, your fears, your uh, things that you don't desire become less a part of you. So you can just go forward a little bit. You, you, you're mostly holding yourself back, aren't you? Yeah, that that also, that you know, you're, you're holding yourself back, you become less self-destructive, you don't have negative thoughts as much. So you're able to be more free with these things. And well, this one thought can take us into a whole other thing. But, yeah. you know, just, just as an example, I, once I started learning this very quickly, the desire to go to parties or to um, do the kind of things that I used to do before with uh, so-called friends just fell off the wayside. I had no desire to do that. The desire to go shopping or to malls or crowds right. just fell off. To acquire things, I want this, I want this, just, just went away. And the desire to hold on to things, attach things, so that if something, somebody were to take something from me or if I was to lose something, the, the pain of having lost something was not there at all. I didn't care if something. So, you know, they say that in spirituality as you grow, if you lose a pen before you get to spirituality, you say, ah, my, I lost my pen. Then you, as you grow, you say, well, I lose the pen, I don't care, but what happens if I lose my wallet or all my money? What happens if I lose my car? What happens if I lose my, my home or whatever? Then you get to your loved ones, your attachments to your wife. So each thing, as you grow higher and higher, your attachment becomes uh, uh, less, but there are still things. A spiritual person, a self-realized person, he has zero attachments. Or even his loved ones, he has feelings for them. He has obligations to them, which he follows, but he's not attached to them. So in the scriptures, they show self-realized gods like Shiva. He will has no uh, just a loincloth around him, blue, sitting on the top of a mountain, surrounded by uh, snow and ice and snakes all over him, vegetation growing on him, near him, because he has been motionless. Complete mastery 
over his body, mind, and intellect. So much so that he doesn't even move, and snakes and animals are on him, and it doesn't bother him. Now, such a person with such devout self-mastery, when the gods, just a story, mythological, want to tempt him, they send beautiful uh, damsels. Am I saying that right, Lou? Damsels, damsels, women, maidens, nymphs, and they dance. And he opens his eyes from his meditation and he looks at them and he, you would think, you know, can open his third eye and just destroy them and make them into ashes. But there are scriptures are replete with spiritual self-realized people falling prey to this kind of temptation. Now, why does a man or a woman become the highest temptation? Because as I've said before, all your senses are attracted to uh, a person of the opposite sex. Right. All your senses and your mind with the uh, attraction of the opposite sex. So the scriptures are basically saying, look, be careful because even self-realized people like Shiva, a god, self-realized person like Swami, such and such, has fallen prey to this kind of temptation. So you are just a babe in this kind of thing. If Shiva can fall prey to it, if such a self-realized person can fall prey to it, you are nothing. So just be careful. So the point that I'm making and the scriptures are making is that the temptations are abound. And as you become more spiritual, your temptations become greater. Yes, your ability to withstand them should become greater, but there's always that inherent weakness in you, inside you. So just be careful because don't forget, your vasanas have carried on to you from previous lives. Your previous life, your present life, until the point that you got this education, was full of temptations, was full of experiences that you didn't know what you were doing because you were just living purely on your vasanas. Now, as you get to know, those vasanas are still demanding satisfaction. So it's up to you and your intellect to control them. So regulate them. Master, maintain a mastery over your temptations, over your mind and your senses gently, not like an ocean liner. You can't do it 90 degrees, but slowly. Disciplining your mind. Direct all your energies towards your ideal. The self-control and self-denial that I said last time we would talk about. So when you have self-control, you have a mastery. You have a meal in front of you. You're tempted to eat it. You say, yes, I will eat it, but not right now, maybe later. Or I will eat it, but only a little bit. Self-denial means I'm not going to eat it, period. And that leads oftentimes to frustration. We've all heard of religious people saying, I will not indulge in my sense uh, desires, but then they fall prey. They do it, but not in the way that most people would think. So I don't want to go into details, but you understand that even the most religious of people fall prey to this because of frustration. Um, So recognize that you are in charge of your senses. The senses should not be in charge of you. Um, Gautam Jain used to say, an alcoholic may say, is it okay to, uh, a person who drinks alcohol, is it okay to drink alcohol? And he said, there's nothing in the scriptures that says you may not drink. 
In fact, there's nothing in the scriptures that says you may not do anything. So he says, you control the bottle, meaning you decide how much you want to drink. And that's mm -hmm. okay. As long as the bottle doesn't control you. So don't let your senses control you. You control your senses. And in the next um, uh, next uh, quality, I'm going to talk about Nichiketa, which is a very, very interesting story. So that's, that is self-control. Let's move on to dispassion towards the sense objects. You okay, Lou? Yes, I just wanted to make the point. I think he, that was an important point you made about the difference between desire, uh, denial and self-control. And I think it's important not to be satisfied with denial because it's not sustainable. Not sustainable, correct. Right. So, so through knowledge, you learn how to control the impulse as opposed to just denying the impulse all the time. That's right. So you, a lot of people ask, you know, in the Hindu scriptures, does it say you have to not be married? doesn't say that. In fact, all the gods, all the self-realized people are married. Shiva is married to Parvati. Everybody has a husband. Vishnu, everybody has a wife. Vishnu has a wife, Lakshmi. So, you know, every god who is self-realized is, it has not only wives, but also children. So there's no limit. But I think what, what your point is that you can indulge, but indulge without allow yourself to have the pleasure without indulging in it without indiscriminate pleasure does that is that yes and without attachment without attachment correct yeah. and without keeping on living that enjoyment you don't like the example i gave of going to a restaurant eating something and just right. coming out from there and saying oh my god that food was ter terrific i want to keep going there keep describing it keep thinking about it keep reveling in it you'll want to increase the desire so the next um, um, quality is dispassion towards sense objects. Now, this is an important value. This is in Sanskrit known as vairagya, V-A-I-R-A-G-Y-A, -A -A, vairagya. When we discriminate between the pros and cons of indulging, should I, should I not? Pros and cons of indulging is when you can develop vairagya, which means a dispassionate way of looking at things, with a detached way of looking at things. In one of the Upanishads, Kathopanishad, there is a young boy. Um, it's a long story, but I'll do it quickly. <clears throat> he dies. No, he doesn't die. He prays and he's, uh, he goes to, the, uh, to Yama, who is the Lord of Death. And he has three guards standing outside and he said to the boy, wait out here. He waits a long time until Yama finally takes pity on him and calls him inside and says, what do you want? And he says, I want to know the wisdom like you have. I want to know what it is about life. I want to know the wisdom, which is self-realization. And Yama says to him, listen, you're just a little boy. Why don't I do this? I will give you, Yama is the Lord of death. He says, I will grant you uh, immortality. You will never die. And I will grant you the best of families, children, home life. I'll give you. And Nachiketa says, I don't want it. Dispassion. I don't want it. Vairagya. Weighing the pros and cons. He says, those are just sensual kinds of pleasures. Those are ethereal. They disappear like the wind. I don't want it. I want what you have. I want self-mastery. I want 
the um, knowledge that will last me forever and my Atman will be self-realized, that I will be self-realized. Nichiketa refused and he used Vairagya. Yama then offered him more and more damsels, women, wealth, power, horses, elephants, everything. The, the story goes on for a long time. Very descriptive. And Nichiketa says, no, this passion towards indulging in the objects of the world is what he showed, Vairagya. The sense objects, so he refused and then finally, long story short, where, uh, he, he then becomes a student of Yama and becomes self-realized, one of the greatest. So the sense objects give you constant pleasure when, and displeasure when they go across. I mean, you eat something bitter, you say, oh, I don't like right. this. Yeah. So you say, I remember that. Your chitta remembers that this was bitter. I don't want to ever, ever put that in my mouth again. Whereas this was sweet. It was so sweet. I want to eat it again and again. So the sense objects, sense organs, and the sense objects together have that good experience. It remembers it, stores it in the memory, and the mind and the sense organs together keep demanding that pleasurable experience again and again. Once you experience a sense object, you want to experience it again. You want more and more of it, or you want to run away from it because it was bitter. The mind and intellect is constantly engaged. That's all it does, is pleasure, desires, sense objects. My clothes, my appearance, my stomach, my tongue, food, movies, TV, vacations, sense objects of sight, beautiful vistas, going to different places. So this, these are the demands that are made on you. Vairagya doesn't mean hating all pleasures. Don't right. get me wrong. Self-realized people also have pleasures. They enjoy things. They take, take it in their stride. It means having control of your sense objects, sense organs. I keep saying this today. Sense right. organs, having control over your sense organs. Indulging without deviating from our path. So you like a certain kind of food. You like Chinese food, for instance. I like Chinese food. I do. <laughs> so you can indulge in it as long as you don't deviate from your path with control over how much you eat, how often you eat, and with what abandonment of your goals or not abandoning your goals you eat. If you abandon everything and say, that's all I'm thinking about, right. that's not. But if you say, I'm hungry, I want to eat something, and you eat with moderation, that's fine. So dispassion could also mean ditch, det detachment. So vairagya is dispassion, vairagya is detachment. You become detached, you become dispassionate when you have an attachment or an attraction to something higher. Right. So to say to somebody, become dispassionate, become detached, doesn't work. If you say, give up that Chinese food, you're not going to have it unless you say, listen, there's a great movie right now that you've been looking forward to watching on TV. It's coming right now. You can either sit here and eat or you can leave the restaurant and go outside and go watch your movie before it starts. You, there are those who may sit, ah, I don't care, I'm going to sit here and eat. <laughs> or there are others who say, nah, the movies, I've been waiting a long time, I'm going to go see that. I can come and eat this another time. So you become detached or dispassionate when you have an attraction to something higher, an attachment, a pull towards 
something better, something higher. So that's important because in your instance right there, you talked about the food and it's the same food, whether you, it's your priority or not, but the way you approach it differs depending on what is the higher calling at that particular moment. So use that ability to, again, it's not the sense object that's drawing you, it's your prioritizing. Yes. So at the same time, I mean, you can give so many different examples. Yeah. So many, two senses could be drawn into different, different directions. Your eyes could be looking at something very appealing. Your tongue could be drawing you somewhere else. Your ears could be drawing you to somewhere else. We've all had that experience. We say, what should I do? Which one should I indulge in? Um, so the classic example that Gautam Jain gave us was that of a child who is attached to his toys, marbles, and as he grows older, he becomes attached to his bicycle, this tricycle, then his bicycle, then to young girls, and then to his job and power and money and wealth, and then to his wife and then his family and so on. And as he goes higher, you say to him, hey, what about your tricycle? Do you want it? He said, nah, that was when I was younger. He has yeah. no interest in that. When he was a child, if you had said to him, are you ever going to stop loving your marbles or your, your tricycle? No, this is mine forever. I always love this. But only when he gets to a higher stage and he starts liking something at a higher level, then right. the lower one just drops off. You cannot force it off. As I was saying, either in earlier this episode or the previous one, that shopping, parties, malls, uh, who is wearing what clothes, who made what kind of money, what business deals, all of this just drops off as you pursue this higher knowledge. What do you have to do for it? Nothing. You just have to listen to people who t teach you about the scriptures. You just have to study the scriptures. That's all. Just listen. Just read. And it falls off. That's all it is. It's just understanding. You don't have to do anything. That's the beauty of this. Um, I think one like, of the big understandings is that as you learn the peace of not being in bondage to the sense objects, you learn to like that and you want more of it. And so that makes it easier to proceed. That's right. So there's, you know, the last example I'll give you is of a parent or a grandparent playing with his children. You know, as opposed to when you yourself are a child and you're playing with your grandfather. So when you're a child and you're playing with your grandfather, you want to win. You are playing and you're passionate about winning. And you say, granddad, I beat you, aha, I won. Whereas when you're granddad and you're playing with your grandchild, you're enjoying it, but you're dispassionate. Right. You don't really care whether you win or you lose. You prefer actually for your grandchild to win uh, because you like to see his pleasure. So that's the same sort of thing if you could go through life like that with having that dispassion. I'm doing it because I ought to do it, not because I want to win or make this. And that is the part, my wife and I had gone for a walk earlier today. We were talking about uh, King Janaka. King Janaka was one of the extremely wealthy kings who was also self-realized himself, but one of the richest kings. He was also the father of Ram's wife, Sita. And so there are a lot of spiritual connotations here and uh, mythological. And But the point that we were making is that King Janaka, being as rich and wealthy as he was and being a king, had to be the judge and jury of people that came to him. And right. how he judged was very important. He had to also make business decisions. 
another neighboring country would might come to him and say, hey, I want you to do this. What about our taxes? He had to make decisions for his treasury having to do with money. So how do you do that? Again, with a self-realized person, if you have to, you have to be dispassionate. You can't be greedy, can't be selfish. So friends, we now have covered up to 10 of the 20 qualities. So we have 10 more, we're halfway through. Hopefully Lou and I will be able to get you these other 20, 10 qualities quickly, and then we'll move on to the next part of this chapter, which is chapter 13. And I hope you will join us throughout. Thank you so much.